1 through 17. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, Put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand became leprous like snow. Then God said, Put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. But I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff, with which you shall do the signs. The word of the Lord. So we are in a series on the book of Exodus, and uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've been going through this very famous encounter between God and Moses at the burning bush. And last week, if you were with us, one of the things we saw towards the end was that whenever you come into a relationship with God, he always gives you a new purpose. He sends Moses out to serve him in the world. That means that that God never calls you into relationship with himself without also calling you out into the world to serve him. He always gives you a new purpose. And if there's one thing that every person in the world needs, it's a sense of purpose. Uh, But here's the problem. We bring ourselves to that purpose. Now, why is that a problem? 
It's because in addition to having a deep need for purpose, every single person in the world also has a deep need for significance. We need to know that our lives matter. We need to know that our lives have worth and value. Uh, The problem is the only way that we know in this world to find significance is to do something significant. In other words, our significance in this world is completely tied to our performance. And if you have insecurities about your performance, guess what? You're going to have insecurities about yourself. This is something that affects probably every single one of us in this room, that we live in a world that demands perfection. It it demands that you be amazing at everything you do. And this affects like all of the minutia of our daily lives, every single area of our lives, whether it's um, work or school or family or relationships or dating or parenting, even social media. You know, why are we so anxious? Why why are we... um, Always wondering, um, do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes to measure up? Am I good enough? Am I really going to be enough for this world? We're constantly insecure and anxious about these things. I mean, every single person in the world struggles with this, except for maybe like, I don't know, three people. (laughs) And if you're one of those people um, and you happen to be here this morning, then I'm sorry that this morning's sermon has absolutely nothing to say to you. But for the rest of us, if you struggle in this area with insecurity in life, then this passage actually has a lot to say to us. And we're going to see three things this morning. We're going to see our problem with insecurity. We're going to see God's solution for our insecurity. And lastly, we're going to see why that solution works. All right? Our problem with insecurity, God's solution for insecurity, and why that solution works. All right? First, our problem with insecurity. Now, as I mentioned, this is one of the most famous encounters in the Bible. Moses sees a burning bush. He goes over to take a look. He meets the God of the universe, who then sends Moses out into the world to, um, to go rescue the Israelites from slavery. Now, One of the things we've seen over the past couple of weeks is that Moses does not immediately say, hey, God, that sounds like a great idea. I'm on my way. He doesn't do that. He he starts arguing with God. He has all these objections about why this can't possibly work. And in this passage, we actually begin to see more deeply what Moses is really struggling with. So if you look at verse 1, Moses says, but behold, they, that's the Israelites, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. Now, we need to stop right there, because every single commentator and scholar on this passage points out the same thing about this. This statement of Moses's, this does not just come out of the blue. Moses is thinking about something that happened in his past, and he's afraid that the same thing is going to happen again. Because 40 years earlier, when Moses was still living in Egypt, he went out and he saw one of his fellow Israelites was being beaten by an Egyptian, and so he killed the Egyptian, and he thought nobody knew about it. But the next day, he went back out, and he saw two Israelites fighting, and he tried to get them to stop fighting with each other, and one of them said, hey, who made you prince and judge over us? Are you going to kill me the same way you did that Egyptian? And Moses realizes that everybody knows that he did this. As a result, he has to run for his life. He flees from Egypt. He becomes a refugee. He leaves his home. He loses his family. And for the next 40 years of his life, he is a lowly shepherd chasing sheep around the middle of nowhere, all because of this one incident in his life. 
This one incident has completely defined his life. Have you ever had something that happened to you? And maybe it was years ago, but, but you've never really gotten over it. You can't forget it. It still has power over your life. It still has a hold on you. Have you ever experienced something like that? That's Moses in this passage. This has completely defined his life. And every time he thinks about it, he's filled with a sense of fear and failure and rejection and shame and disillusionment and discouragement. And as a result, he's tremendously insecure. In fact, you see this comes up again later in the passage. In verse 10, Moses um, comes up with another objection for God. He says, oh Lord, I am... Um, not eloquent, but I am slow of speech and tongue. Another objection why he's not the man for the job. Now, a lot of people wonder, well, did Moses have a speech impediment? And we're not really sure, but it doesn't matter because the point is that Moses is completely insecure. Now, why? It'd be easy to say, well, it's because of all those horrible things that happened to him. But it really goes much deeper than that. Why is Moses so insecure? You know, um, it's interesting, if you look at all of his questions, all of his objections to God, they're all just a little bit different, but there is one thing all of Moses' objections have in common. What is it? Moses. Moses is completely focused on Moses. You know, a lot of times it's easy to think that pride is thinking more highly of yourselves than we ought to, and that's part of it. But C.S. Lewis, in his wonderful book, Mere Christianity, he points out um, that pride is actually being focused on yourself. So here's how he puts it in the book. He says, people are not proud of being rich or clever or good-looking. They're proud of being richer or cleverer or better-looking than others. It's the comparison that makes you proud. Once the element of competition has gone, pride has gone. You see what he's saying? Pride means that you're constantly looking at yourself and then you're looking around at all the other people in the world around you and you're constantly comparing yourself to them. That means that, that you can be totally focused on how horrible you think you are and, and that means you're just as proud as the person that can't stop thinking about how amazing they are. Both of those things come from the same place. Both people, both people who are really full of themselves and people who are really down on themselves, both people are proud because both people can't stop thinking about themselves. And that's why C.S. Lewis went on to give us this very famous definition of humility. You know what real humility is? Here's how C.S. Lewis describes it a little later in that book. He says, do not imagine that if you met a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be the sort of person who is always telling you that, of course, he's nobody. Probably you will think, all you will think about him is that he took a real interest in what you had to say to him. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. You know what Moses's biggest problem was? And by extension, do you know what our biggest problem is? We can't stop thinking about ourselves. And listen, I understand some of you have had horrible things happen to you in life, and, and we don't want to discount that or discredit that. It's important to take that seriously. But pain has a way of drawing attention to itself. You know, if you hit your thumb with a hammer, your thumb is going to cry out, pay attention to me. And it's important to pay attention to the pain. It's important to deal with the pain. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But 
But if you look at Moses, one of the first things we have to see here is that chronic, long-term focus on self is one of the most debilitating, self-distorting, and self-defeating things that we can possibly do. It really is. So, I mean, for instance, do you think about yourself all the time? Or when you're in the, a conversation with others, do you have a tendency to talk more about yourself? We all do stuff like this. Um, whether you are the most successful person in the world or whether you think of yourself as a complete failure, both of those things spring from the same root. We're insecure about ourselves because we can't stop thinking about ourselves. Focus on self is always a sign of deep insecurity. Now that leads to our next point. We've just seen our problem with insecurity, but next we need to talk about what is God's solution for our insecurity? How does God respond to all of Moses' objections? You know, it's really interesting to see the things that God does not do because there are different ways God could have responded to Moses. I mean, Moses is basically arguing with God, but look at what God does not do. First, he doesn't, like, strike Moses dead. How dare you argue with me? I smite thee. Nor does he, um, does he dismiss Moses' objections. He doesn't say, Moses, just get over it. Get over yourself, put on your big boy pants and go do what I told you to do. Neither, by the way, does God agree with Moses. He doesn't say, you know what, Moses, you're right. You really are the biggest failure the world has ever seen. I don't know why I chose you in the first place. Forget about it. I'm going to find somebody else. He doesn't say that. And when you think about it, you realize, you know, there are three very common ways that um, that we can respond to the insecurity that we experience as a result of the failure and the hurts and the pains in our lives. Three very common ways we can respond to that. One way is condemnation. One way is denial. Another way is apathy. Condemnation says, you really are a horrible person. You deserve to be rejected. Denial says, um, you know what? It's not really a big deal. Just ignore it. Maybe it will go away. We don't want to look at it. Apathy says, um, it's, um, you know, what's the point? What's the use? Just give up. Don't bother anymore. Condemnation, denial, and apathy are three of the most common ways we respond to insecurity over the hurts and failures of our lives. But God does not do any of those things. What does God do? It's really interesting. So if you look um, in this passage, every time Moses comes up with an objection for God, God always listens to the objection and then gives Moses an answer. God, and even more than that, God actually invites Moses into a process by which Moses is able to start getting more honest with himself about the real source of his insecurity. So for instance, at the very beginning in verse one, Moses says, Lord, they're not gonna believe me. They're not gonna listen to me. They're gonna reject me. And what does God say? He says, Moses, what is in your hand? Kind of an odd question. One of the most important things we need to keep in mind is that any time in the Bible that God asks someone a question, God never asks a question because he needs the information. God never asks questions for himself. He always asks for us. It's never because God needs to discover information. It's because we need to discover information. So, for instance, in Genesis chapter 3, that famous incident in the Garden of Eden, when the first humans ate the fruit and then they ended up hiding from God, God comes into the garden and he calls out, where are you? God is not looking for information about their geographical location. 
God is inviting them to get honest with themselves and to get honest with God about what happened. God's questions are always an invitation to deeper self-honesty for us. And we see the same exact thing happening here with Moses. God is inviting Moses to reflect on something, but what is it? He says, what is in your hand? What is in your hand? Now, in the Bible, the hand can mean just that, like a physical hand. But in the Bible, the hand also is a very common image for power or strength or sufficiency. So, for instance, in Psalm 31, the psalmist prays, Lord, my times are in your hand. It's a way of saying, God, my well-being is completely within your power and your authority. Or sometimes when the Bible is talking about military victories, it'll frequently say things like, the Lord gave them into the hands of their enemies. It's a way of talking about power and strength and sufficiency and agency, the hand. So when God asks Moses, Moses, what is in your hand? It's a way of saying, Moses, where are you looking for strength? Where are you looking for sufficiency? So what is in Moses' hand? What does he say? A staff a lowly shepherd's staff. Now, at the most superficial level, we could say, yeah, Moses would look at this staff and say, this is nothing but a stupid piece of wood. But at a much deeper level, this staff, think about it, it would have been a constant daily reminder of Moses' biggest failure, how he had to run for his life, how he became a refugee from Egypt, how he'd spent the last 40 years of his life wasting his life away as a nobody, chasing sheep around in the middle of the desert. That staff would have been a daily, constant, in-his-face reminder of his whole story of weakness, failure, and rejection. And one of the main things God's trying to get Moses to do is to stop running away from his story. And one of the main things God's trying to get you to do is to stop running away from your story. Because we all have a story, and we're all trying to run away from it in different ways. One way of running away from your story is through apathy or addiction. I mean, you know, we medicate ourselves, whether it's alcohol or drugs or food or TV or sex or shopping or social media, whatever it might be. But that's just one way. You know, another way of running away from your story is by working really hard to achieve stuff. You know that success can be every bit as much a way of running from your story as apathy and addiction are, because every single one of us has unresolved pain in our lives. Every single one of us has hurts and wounds and fears and failures and rejection and anger and shame and disappointment and disillusionment. We all have that because every single one of us has a story. And one of the things God's trying to do here is to get Moses to stop running away from his story. And you can see that's exactly what Moses wants to do. I mean, at the very end of the passage, he just comes out and says it, God, I don't want to do it. Send someone else. But Moses will not let, I mean, God will not let Moses run away from his story, and he won't let you run away from it either. So one of the things we see God doing here is he's working in Moses' life through a very patient process. A patient process. What does that mean? It means that every time Moses raises an objection, God says, hmm, very interesting point, Moses. What are we going to do about that? He invites Moses to reflect more deeply on the story of his life, to reflect more deeply on his pain, his hurts, his fears, his weakness, his rejection. Primarily, God does this, did you notice? It's through his word. 
It's through a conversation, as Jessica so aptly noticed. It's a conversation with Moses. When God wants to get to work in your life through this patient process, he always does so by means of his word. He wants to go deeper into your life. So one of the main ways that God brings light and, and revelation into our lives is through his word. So, you know, for instance, I, um, we just had some plumbing work um, that needed to be done at our house, or, or I should say we thought we needed some plumbing work done. Deep in the sewers um, beneath our house, uh, we'd had a couple of plumbers who came over and they kind of, you know, looked at what was going on and then they asked some questions and they gave me a hypothesis about what they thought needed to be done deep in the sewers underneath our house. And I wanted to find out for sure. And so what I did was I called another plumber and they came by and they had this long cable with a camera and a light attached to the camera. And what they do is they take this thing and they snake it deep down into the sewer underneath our house. And you're, I'm watching this thing on the screen and all of a sudden you can really see what's going on deep down in the sewers underneath our house. A hypothesis won't do it. You need, you need God's word to go down like a, like a lighted camera to go down and illuminate the deepest parts of your heart to bring revelation and light and illumination to what's really going on in your heart and in your life. God's word will do that to you. It will search you out. But you can't, listen, it's not enough to just have a superficial knowledge of what's going on in the Bible. Oh, I've read parts of the Bible sometimes. I know what's in the Bible. It's not enough. We have to go deep. You have to read it deeply, study it deeply, meditate on it deeply. You have to spend time um, with other people helping you see things you may have missed. That's one of the reasons we do community groups here because we all need help to let God's word go more deeply into our lives. But one of the main things God does when he gets to work in your life is he has this patient process by which he invites us, he helps us to get more honest with ourselves about the real sources of our insecurity, about what really is going on in our lives and in our story. What is your story saying to you? What narrative are you telling yourself about what happened in your life? Do you fall into the condemnation narrative? Or do you maybe, maybe go for more of the denial narrative, just ignore it, pretend it didn't happen? Or are you more in the apathy narrative? You know, just give up? or maybe some combination of those things. God won't let you do any of those things. He wants to invite you to go deeper with him in this patient process. But there's another principle at work in God's solution to Moses' insecurity here. It's not just a patient process. It's strength through surrender. God works in Moses' life on the principle of strength through surrender. What does that mean? You know, um, one of the main things that God does here is, is, is if this staff represents Moses' story, okay, his failure, his rejection, his weakness, if this staff represents Moses' story, then what does God ask him to do with that story? What is he asking him to do with the staff? He says, throw it on the ground. In other words, God is saying, Moses, I want you to surrender your story, surrender this, throw it on the ground. In other words, surrender control over your story and give me control over your story. What happens when Moses does that? That staff represented all of Moses' weaknesses, all of Moses' rejection, all of his fears, all of the disappointments of his life. And when he surrenders control over it, what happens we don't have time this morning to go through all three of these signs that God does with the snake and the leprous hand and the uh, Nile turning into blood. But one of the main things we see here that 
happens is God takes Moses' staff and Moses' hand that holds the staff and he transforms those things from being places of weakness and rejection and failure in Moses' life. He transforms them into the very instruments of God's power and redemption in the lives of the Israelites. In fact, I'll invite you in the weeks to come as we continue going through this series, look at how often in Exodus it talks about Moses' hand or Moses' staff as being the instrument by which God brings his power, his healing, and his redemption into the world. It's amazing. God takes all of Moses' weakness and he transforms it into an instrument of redemption in the world. Now, here's what this means for us today. Friends, this is a picture of the gospel. The gospel does not say, You bring your strength. You bring your power. You bring your sufficiency. You you bring something for God to work with, and then God's going to get to work in your life. Then God will love you. Then God will accept you. Then you'll be a significant person. You know, that's the way religion works. And by the way, that's also the way our secular culture works. Both of those things say that ultimately your significance depends on your performance. But the gospel is the exact opposite of that. The gospel does not say that your significance depends on your performance. It says that your performance, your work in this world is the result, it's the overflow, it's the outflow of the significance that God has already given you by grace through Jesus Christ. And when you surrender your weakness, when you surrender your failures to God, no matter how weak it is, no matter how much you think you failed, God transforms those things into his instruments of strength and redemption in the world. That means that you don't offer God your strength and your sufficiency. You offer, you surrender to God your story. You surrender your weakness to him and he transforms that into his instrument of redemption in the world and also his instrument of redemption in your life. Because you remember how I said just a moment ago that one of the, the one thing that all of Moses' objections had in common was Moses? The one thing that all of God's answers have in common is God. In other words, God is constantly, every time Moses raises an objection, God says, Moses, stop looking at yourself and start looking at me. So for instance, in verse 1, Moses says, God, I can't do this because of my past. And God says to Moses, Moses, watch what I can do with your past. Or in verse 10, Moses says, God, I can't do this because of my mouth. And Moses says, who made mouths? Is it not I, the Lord? Moses, watch what I can do with your mouth. God is constantly getting Moses to stop focusing on Moses and to start focusing on God, to stop focusing on his weakness, his his own failure, his own rejection, and to start focusing on what God can do with those things, transforming them into his means and instruments of uh, healing, power, and redemption in the world. And that leads to our last point. We've seen that uh, our problem with insecurity, and we've seen God's solution to our problem. But lastly, why does that solution work? Because here's the question. If, if God's big project in our life is to get us to stop focusing on ourselves and to start focusing on him, then A, how does that happen? And B, maybe even more importantly, how does it even help? You know, one of our tendencies, um, each one of us, is to look at our own little stories as being all about ourselves. We think our story is all about me. It's all about ourselves. And at a certain level, that makes sense because, you know, we're the ones who have to walk through our stories. We're the ones who have to experience the things that have happened to us. But one of the things we have to see is that 
our stories, no matter how huge and absorbing they feel to us, are really just one little story, one little part of the much bigger story that God wants to tell in this world. And that means that the question is not, how is God fitting his purposes into my story? The question is, how is God fitting my story into his purposes? Friends, those are two entirely different questions. So look at Moses here in this passage. He's completely focused on himself, completely focused on his story. And when God asks him, hey, Moses, what's in your hand? Moses says, in my hand, what? You know, my life, my story are essentially like this piece of wood. It's nothing but a stupid piece of wood. And God says, Moses, watch what I can do with a piece of wood. When Moses surrenders that story to God, God transforms it into an instrument of redemption. Now, do you want to know how the same thing can happen to you? The way to do that is to see the one to whom Moses points. What do I mean? You know, thousands of years later, there was another one who came in order to save his people because God himself came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus came to earth to save his people... Jesus experienced rejection after rejection and failure after failure. Nobody had a worse story than Jesus. He was born in obscurity. He was raised in poverty. He lived a life. Uh, he was penniless. He was homeless. He was persecuted. And at the end of his life, he was condemned on false charges. He was beaten. He was mocked. He was spat upon. And then finally, he was hung naked on a cross to die the most painful and the most shameful death that had ever been devised by human beings. But friends, the cross is the story into which all the other little stories find their place and fit. Because the cross is the place where God was bringing his ultimate healing, ultimate power, and ultimate redemption into the world. The cross was a place of ultimate fear, failure, rejection, bitterness, disappointment, shame, degradation. But it wasn't in spite of those things that God was saving the world. It was through those things that God was saving the world. Because the cross was the ultimate place where God said, watch what I can do with a piece of wood. You know, the, the cross, for Jesus Christ, the cross was, was rejection, it was horror, and it was death. But for you and for me, it's delight and it's acceptance and it's life. Jesus did that for you. That means that no matter how broken your story is, when you surrender your story to God, when you give him control over your life and your story, he takes broken things and he turns them into beautiful things. But you have to give it to him. You have to let him have control over your life and your story. There's a famous old story uh, about a pastor named Dr. B uh, Donald Gray Barnhouse. He was the pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia for many years. Um, and the story goes that um, there was a week during which Dr. Barnhouse was officiating services for another young pastor whose wife was expecting their first child. And one night after one of the services, this young pastor came in and he told Dr. Barnhouse, Dr. Barnhouse, we had our baby, but, but our baby was born with Down syndrome. And Dr. Barnhouse looked at him and he said, this is of the Lord. And the young pastor said, what do you mean? And he said, come here. And he opened up his Bible to this passage, to Exodus chapter 4, verse 11, which says, who made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? And the pastor looked at the passage and he looked at Dr. Barnhouse and he said, 
my wife doesn't know. I have to go see her. So he raced back to the hospital. And as he got onto the floor where his wife was, they hadn't given her the baby yet. She didn't know what was happening. And he could hear his wife calling out, where's my baby? Why won't they let me see my baby? I want to see my baby. And so he walked into the room and he sat down with his wife and he read this passage to her. And then he told her, honey, our baby has been born with Down syndrome. And they wept and they prayed and then they wept some more. And then the, the mother said, I, I have to call my mom and tell her about this. And so she got on the phone to call her mom. And unbeknownst to her, the uh, switchboard operator at the hospital was a woman who not only was she not a Christian, she was someone who, who loved to see Christians suffer because she believed that deep down, just like everybody else, Christians would crack underneath the pressure and the brokenness of this world. So she listened into the conversation. Here's what she heard. This young mother called her mom and said, Mom, we had our baby, but our baby has Down syndrome. We've never experienced something as painful as this. We don't know what we're going to do or how we're going to get through it. But there is one thing that we do know. We do know that God is at work in this, and we do know that God is going to use this baby for his purposes. Now, that switchboard operator couldn't help but tell other people what she'd heard. And word spread throughout the rest of the hospital very quickly so that the next Sunday morning, when that young pastor stood back up in church, unbeknownst to him, 70 nurses and staff workers from that hospital were sitting in the church that morning. 30 of them gave their lives to Jesus that morning, all because of one little Down syndrome baby and the parents who said, this is the most painful thing we've ever experienced. This is so painful. This is so hard. But we give it to God and we're saying, God, you can do whatever you want through our story. Friends, what, I don't know what's going on in your lives this morning, this year, I don't know the pains and the hurts that you've experienced in your life. And you may look at your life and you may look at it and say, what a mess. What can God possibly do with a mess like this? But if God can take the cross, the most horrible, awful thing that ever happened in the world, and turn that into the means by which he brought salvation to the world, oh my goodness, don't you think he can do something with you in your little story? Don't you think he can fit your story into his purposes in the world? Of course he can. And the way he can do it is if you surrender your story to him and submit to his patient process, submit to the principle of strength through surrender, give him your story and let him work through your life. If you surrender your story to God in weakness, he'll give it back to you in strength, just like he gave Moses' staff back to him. He'll give it to you in strength, but it's his strength. Do you believe that? Look at Jesus on the cross, and you can know it's true. Let's pray.